and welcome back to part two of this week's episodes. Yes, plural episodes of the Roman Empire of po- Roman's Empire podcast. So, if you guys are wondering why am I listening to the second part, it's because you haven't listened to the first yet. Um, and if you did listen to the first, you came to the right place. Welcome um, back. Welcome back. Yeah, exactly. So. Um, this is part two. We will be previewing the Dynamo Kiev and Wolverhampton Wanderers matches coming up this week, um, as well as answering some Twitter questions that are uh, probably the most interesting batch of Twitter questions we've gotten so far. So um, let's just dive right into it. Um, Sam, do you want to tee us off for the previews? I'd love to. So first off, we got um, uh, Europa League against Dynamo Kiev. Um, on Thursday the 7th. So this is the, the round of 16. We're going to be playing at the bridge. Uh, Kiev is currently sitting second in their uh, domestic league behind um, Shakhtar Donetsk. So this is William's former side, of course. Hopefully his previous rivalry with uh, Kiev will benefit Chelsea in this uh, in this matchup, and this will be a, a sort of revenge game for him. Um, so Kiev qualified in their first group with a 3-2-1 record. Uh, their group was fairly easy. They really didn't have any big-name teams in their group. Um, the round of 32, they faced Olympiacos, and um, the first the first leg away, they uh, drew 2-2, and then uh, the next leg at home, they won 1-0. Uh, me, personally, and I, I think the rest of you guys can kind of agree, we don't know much about Kiev, but their danger men seem to be... Um, Benjamin Verbich and uh, Viktor Sigankov from the Wings. Uh, they have uh, 11 and 12 goals, uh, respectively, in all competitions. Um, apart from them, nobody else is in double-digit scoring. So, um, Andreas, I'll start off with you. What kind of lineup are we expecting from Sari in this match, especially you know, with a tough Wolves side um, this upcoming weekend? Uh, I, I honestly don't think we'll be surprised. I think he'll deploy his typical Europa League uh, starting 11. The one change that we might see here is Alonso starting at left back rather than Emerson at this point. But I, I think Kepa will stay in goal. I mean, he's played most of these games anyway. You'll probably see Zapacosta back on the right. Maybe, hopefully, because Aspie needs a break. Uh, maybe this will be the first time we'll see Kovacic as a regista from the beginning. Uh, Loftus-Cheek hasn't started a game in a while. If he's healthy enough, he should be starting this game. I know that Sari sometimes plays him in the Conte role. And then the front three will be some sort of, hopefully, some Hudson-Odoi-Giroud plus a William or Pedro. It's worked so far in the Europa League. It worked really well against Malmo. So... That's kind of what I'm aiming for in terms of the starting 11. Uh, what about you, Zach? Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I, I don't think he's going to give Zapacosta a run out. I think I think he's given him enough chances, at least at Sarri's eyes. Like, we haven't seen the guy since that one odd substitution <laughs> a couple weeks ago. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think he's going to start Dave on the right. He'll probably go with Christensen and Rudiger or Christensen and David Luiz. It'll actually probably be David Luiz because Rudiger was the only one in that back line. Um, or Rudiger was the one that didn't um, get rotated, and it was David Luiz last week. So midfield, I'm going to go Kovacic, Conte, and, and uh, Loftus-Cheek. Um, if there is no Loftus-Cheek in that starting midfield in, in, in on uh, Thursday, then I think that pretty much gives it away that he's going to be starting on Sunday. Um, and then my front three, I would probably have Willian on the left, 
Hudson Adoy on the right and Giroux up top. Um, just in general, you know, I'm not, I don't know too much about this team, but one thing we got to be worried about is, you know, th- this is a cup competition. So, you know, these guys are, are, were pub sides in the first few rounds, but now we're getting down to the business stage. We're going to start seeing some teams that are fairly decent. And when I say decent, I don't mean teams that are going to run us off of the park, but if we don't show up, they are capable of maybe surprising uh, surprising us with a goal or two. Um, and that could be crucial because, again, they're the away team. So if they could nick a goal and, and, and walk away, you know, down two to one going back to um, the Ukraine, they might feel pretty good about themselves. I think they'll bite your arm off for a scoreline like that if we gave it to them right now. So. Um, and, and Ukraine's never an easy place to play. It's not an easy place to travel to. The weather, the, the weather's never <laughs> good over there either. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's going to be an interesting tie. But I, I really just, I, I pray to God that we see a rotated side because we just looked exhausted uh, against Fulham, as we touched upon in the first part, in the first part of this uh, this week's pair of episodes. So, yeah, yeah, I honestly don't have anything to add to that. What you guys said, um, just really. Ex- hoping for a, a big win um i mean this is this is uh the home side the home leg so um obviously i i don't, I don't want to give up any goals but um we'll see what happens i think i think the most more important match this week i know obviously europa league is 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 you know a bigger matchup i mean a bigger uh, competition than just the premier league but we play the wolves on sunday and the wolves have been really hot this season they've been really good um, and you know, for our side, still in the hunt for the top four, currently in sixth place, two points away from Man United, who was in the fourth spot. But again, Chelsea have a have a game in hand with that postponed match uh, for the Carabao Cup final. So meaning, our future is pretty much in our hands at this point. Wolves, on the other hand, they're in seventh, <laughs> just one spot behind us, which uh, is is was kind of. Ex- unexpected from the start of the season but um we really don't have you know we we really don't have to go back far to remember you know the embarrassing out outing on our match uh we you know uh, in our earlier matchup with this with this team they really did hand it to us so um i think we we do have to expect a different approach to this match than we saw in the first meeting um zach i'll start off with you you think Sari's going to go back to his uh, p- quote-unquote perfect vision of Sari ball, or will he continue to keep a solid defense before worrying about the fluidity in the style of play? I I, I think he's going to go with the w- with the way we've been playing as of late. I, I I don't think there's a reason why we should change it if it's not broken. Don't try to fix it. And you know, I know you said we don't have to go far to remember the Wolverhampton match, but. I'm pretty sure that that Wolverhampton match was one of those catalyst matches for our drastic downfall uh, of form earlier on in the year, right? Like we lost the Wolves and then it seemed like everything else around us was just collapsing and then we our team was just going completely into the shitter. <laughs> one thing with Wolves that that I am worried about um, is, is they are going to play three at the back, which means that they're either going to have four across the midfield or possibly five. Um, now the last time we played against them, uh, they played with two across the midfield. They actually had a front three. 
um, and, and they wound up hurting us that way. And then the two central midfielders were shielding Jorginho. Um, that way he wasn't able to get the ball and David Luiz was stepping up into the midfield and that was our main mode of attack in that match. Again, Wolves are a very, very good side at, at spreading the pitch. They make the field extremely wide when they're in possession, but, they're, but, but the impressive part is that defensively they get nice and compact, which is how they've managed to sort of become this best of the rest outside of the top six. Um, they, they have a decent manager. They have a, they have a passionate team that gives 110% every single match. Um, it's going to be interesting. You know, they got guys that can hurt us. Diego Jota has been incredible this year. Ruben Neves is just too good to be on Wolves. Um, and, and guys are stepping into form that, you know, uh, that that started out the season hot, but have somehow continued it. Guys like Raul Jimenez, um, they have players that could come off the bench. I don't know if they're going to start guys like Helder Costa or well, what's the other guy, uh, Cavalero, Ivan Cavalero, uh, the the Portuguese guy. I mean, they, the point is they have players that can hurt us, and if we're not wary, we can definitely get punished in this game just like we did in the first match. Because they play three at the back and they're going to have uh, 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 at least four or five in the midfield, I think that we need to revert away from that 4-2-3-1 and kind of sit in and play like a almost like a 4-5-1 or a 4-1-4-1 where Jorginho is sitting right behind Conte and Kovacic, but they're nice and compact. They're like, like a deep line. Because if we are playing this possession style and we lose the ball on one of the flanks, they're really good at transitioning into counterattacking situations, and they have a big. I mean, they have players that can pick out a pass. They got guys like Jean Matinho, um, uh, and and, uh, and I just named him Ruben Neves. Guys that can pick out passes, that can control games, that can dominate midfield. Um, they got guys that could run on uh, onto through balls like Diego Jota and, and their wingers. They got Johnny and Doherty playing out wide. I mean, this is a this is a very talented team, and I think a lot of people took them. For, uh, not necessarily took them for granted, but they underrated them to start the season. But they're really coming into their own, and I think like if, if they could keep a bulk of their players moving on to next season, uh, including Ruben Neves, because I think he's the key in this whole equation, and maybe bring in another you know expensive signing or two. Man, I mean, they they could become the they could overtake Ever Everton as like that new best of the rest category. So mm -hmm. yeah, I mean. It, it, it's going to be a tough matchup all the way around. Number seven outside of that top six, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. basically. If not contending for that Europa League spot next season. Sure. But yeah, yeah. Um, I, I agree that we definitely need to, to go with absorbing. The tactics we've been using recently is what you got to do. I think that in a weird way, if we gift them the space and, and let their wingbacks move forward and kind of lure them into thinking that, you know, they're going to get the space in our final third, that sort of thing. And then we hit them on the counter is where we're actually going to win this game. Uh, I think Wolves could have the similar, similar issues to what happens with Chelsea whenever we have all the ball and all this time in the final third. We really don't know what to do, and we just kind of pass the ball sideways outside the box till we just mess up. I think that's where you can really get Wolves um, caught red-handed kind of thing. If they're using Traore as one of the wing backs. That, that's going to be a lot of space in behind because he is going to want to dart forward. So instead of trying to to pinch them back high up the pitch and essentially build building them a, a defensive line of five, maybe 
It's more about luring them in, in the right areas where their wingbacks are moving forward and kind of beating them quickly into the space that, space that was left in behind them to kind of capitalize. And, and in recent weeks, our, our crossing into the box has gotten better. And, and with Iguain's movement and hopefully Loftus-Cheek as well in the box, we can make something happen from there. So that's kind of how I hope that we can uh, attack Wolves. But but yeah, that, that would be mean keeping this kind of more defensive mind first approach that Sar has been implementing in the past couple games. All right. Uh, I think that's, that's it for that match re, uh, preview, unless there's anything else you guys wanted to add. Um, we can get into the Twitter questions. Uh, anything yeah, else? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Let's get, let's get into these Twitter questions because we got, we got a good lineup of questions from our, from our hashtag rep ultras. Um, make sure you guys, <laughs> you guys spread that hashtag around. Um, when you earn it. Um, so the when first, you earn it. yeah, <laughs> or else, yeah, yeah, we're, we're going to, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll sue you for copyright infringement if you guys do that. So anyway, um, <laughs> th- this isn't, this isn't necessarily a Twitter question. This is actually just a quote from sorry. He says, when everyone was talking about my dismissal, I was in discussions with the club to plan for the next, uh, plan for the team for next season. So I was always relaxed. Um, what, what are you guys' thoughts on, on this quote? Andreas, I'll start off with you. At first I read this and I was like, I mean, it's easy to say that now after you've kind of steadied the ship, but at the end of the day, we, we always complain that we really don't know what's happening behind the scenes. Um, I think the headlines wrote themselves whenever Steve Holland and John Terry were popping in in our match, and then they were also at the youth match. So we might have bought into that because it was just so easy to fall into it. I I know from the beginning, Marina did say that bringing Sari was supposed to change the philosophy and, and it was really just a turn and evolution for the club. So maybe we are, we're, we're kind of, because of the, the previous history, we're not willing to believe it, but I'm happy about this. Zach mentioned it in part one that we were thinking about giving Sari a year, if not two years. And it's, it's nice to see that the club kind of sees it the same way, uh, especially leading into a summer that could be the last window before a transfer ban, ban hits. Yeah, spot on. Um, it, it, it's just the only thing that went through my mind when I read this was it's just nice to hear of something that's happening behind the scenes because we're in the dark all the time as Chelsea fans. We have no idea what the board is thinking, what their intentions are, what their vision is, what their plan is. I mean, we probably have one of the worst boards in in England in terms of communication to the fans, from board level to fans. So, yeah, I mean, it's just nice to hear Sorry, you know, explaining a little bit about what goes on behind the scenes. Maybe he's blowing smoke. Maybe he is a smart man, so maybe he's saying this just to shut the press up. Um, but you know, either way, it's just, it's refreshing to hear that there's an, there's an aura or the word patience is even being floated around loosely at Chelsea football club. Yeah, it was really nice. Um, just to see like that he had that confidence. I mean, I know there's a lot of speculation about him, uh, you know, getting, getting sacked by the team, but I think it's nice to see that we were kind of on the, like hoping that. I mean, sorry, that the board is on the page that we are hoping that they would be on that, 
you know, giving him an, just this one year is definitely not enough of a of a trial period to see what he could really implement in our squad. Um, so let, let's go to the next question. This one is from at NVVARD. Envard. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but you can correct me if, if I got that wrong at NVVARD. Um, he says, as a Cleveland sports fan for everything else other than CFC, oh, poor guy, he says, I think it's a habit to think about the next season in the middle of a curtain one, like a clingy, like a clingy tender date. Where do we see this going? <laughs> this is a well, well-worded question at Envivard. Very, very well-worded. Exactly. Look, I'll start off with you. Yeah, go ahead. There's where do we, where do you see it going, or where should it go? Personally, um, I don't know where it's going because, like we just said, the club have zero communication with the fans. You know, when when performances turn sour, we don't hear anything from board level. When performances are great like they have been in the last week or so, we still don't hear anything at board level. So really there's no real way to gauge. You know, we're not insiders. But in terms of where should it go, I know Andres isn't going to like this very much, but I hope we keep Maurizio Sarri for another year minimum. I hope we back him in the transfer market. What I've seen in the last two games or so is because here's the thing. His style of football works. That's a fact. Now there's ways to stop it, but – as you know the last three months have proven right other teams come in they put a shield in front of Jorginho and they basically stop us from playing but now Sarri's proving that he could adapt while also implementing certain aspects of Sarismo into build-up play um and I just see a lot of positives in that I think you know you got guys like Pep backing him up publicly um a few weeks ago saying that you know he's a great manager and, and he'll come good eventually if given a time uh, uh, Mourinho has said something recently about him as well. Um, I, I don't, for whatever it's worth, I mean, th- there's a lot of pundits out there, ex-coaches, ex-footballers, respected people that have said good things about them. Now, I know you can make the argument that people say bad things about him as well, and that's just the way the world works. But there seems to be a decent amount of support for Sorry, so I, I do want to see this through, especially if there's a transfer ban. Because if there is a transfer ban, then as Chelsea fans, we're just naturally gonna or what we should do as Chelsea fans is we should temper our expectations during the transfer ban, right? Let's just shoot for the top four, maybe nick a competition trophy along the way, but we're not really charging for four trophies in in, in the same season like uh, we normally do. So, Andres, what do you think? Where do you see this going? Are you going to ask her out on another date or – Or are you going to swipe left? Oh, actually, I think Andres' internet died – so uh, I'm going to assume that Andreas is going to swipe left, but um, hopefully he can get back into it. But um, you know what? Let's just uh, – Yeah, on. let's continue. Okay. Uh, yeah, apparently uh, the whole entire Xfinity uh, internet service provider crashed. So it's it's not – Wait, just really? Like, that's what Andreas just said. So. Oh, shit. Okay, <laughs> we won't be, so he probably won't be rejoining us for this episode. But – it was nice having you on, Andreas. Hopefully we have him back next week. So, um, oh, at, the next question is from at Envivard again. Wow. Yeah. This, this yeah, guy, he gave us a couple. This, and this guy just I think doesn't... I'm back. Oh, nice. Hey. Hey, we, were just, we just, we just uh, gave up hope on you, but I'm so glad you're back. 
I'm oh. trying it from my phone, so let's see how this works. Oh, cool. Okay. Uh, did you wanna did you wanna swipe left or swipe right on that last uh, Tinder question? I don't. Oh God. Um, <laughs> Do you remember let me it? Just look at. <laughs> we'll I'll join the next yeah, question. Yeah, yeah, we'll go to the I'm next one. Yeah, and a shout out to Ed and Vivard for not just asking plain questions. He's he puts a lot of creativity in these questions. Yeah, yeah. So Appreciate. he says, sounds like, <laughs> sounds like the plane in nosedive that was Sari's CFC career has leveled off and is back at cruising altitude with rumors of him getting sacked, dying down. Now what? ESPN article says Sari hopes for challenge. Uh, sorry. Sorry, hopes to challenge for the third spot. Is that doable? Where do you see us finishing? Uh, Andreas, uh, I'll let you start off since you weren't able to answer the last question. <laughs> yeah, apologies. I think Xfinity crashed in my side of town because, yeah, I that's whack. But anyway, um, I think that third spot is a bit optimistic. I think that we can for sure get the fourth spot. I think for third to happen, we would need even a more the normal bottle job from Tottenham because they did have kind of a good cushion. Um, again, because we can control our own destiny, I think fourth is very attainable. I think we can get close to third, but it would need it would mean that Tottenham straight up just sunk their ship. So uh, I think we could solidly get fourth if the guys keep uh, performing the way they've been playing. I think the only way we could get third is if uh, Kieran Trippier keeps getting starts at Tottenham Hotspur. <laughs> um, no, uh, in all seriousness, I don't think I don't see us competing for the third spot. Look, Tottenham is spiral. Their form has nosedive, um, but there's no reason to think that they can't regain some type of form, especially with Dele Alley coming back. So that's going to give them some sort of psychological boost, if not for the remainder of the season, at least for the next couple matches. And look, I mean, it's simple. We should know this better than anybody else. A, a great win against a good team makes all the difference in a team's mentality, in a team's form, in the culture at a club, in the general feeling within the fan base. I mean, we had a we we had a decent performance against Man City. We did, as a fan base, seem kind of deflated. It was actually kind of 50-50. I was happy with our performance, but a lot of people were, you know, bummed out that they, that we didn't get the win. But then we go into top, we go into the Tottenham match, we spanked them, and now look what it did. You know, like we're rejuvenated, we're ready to go. The players look inspired. We're putting in shifts now all over the pitch. So there's no reason to think that Tottenham can't do the same. So with that being said, I think it is still a top four battle. I think uh, if anyone is going to bottle it um, first. Within that top four, I think it's Arsenal. I just don't think they have enough defensively to get over the line. Um, and I think our real competitor is going to be Man United, who doesn't look like they have uh, – they, they look like they're not slowing down even with their injury crisis. So, um, you know, we'll see what happens. But at, at the end of the day, if I had to put money down on it, look, man, I'm a Chelsea fan. I'm always going to be positive. We're going to take that fourth spot. We're going to be in the Champions League next year. Let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, I, I'm feeling that too. I like that the positivity. So, um, the next 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 questions. I mean, I'll I'll combine the two into one. We'll go we'll go one by one. Actually, um, these are really good ones. We have to put a lot of thought into it, and I, we we kind of created a, a a group answer for this first one. This one is from at Dylan Lee four. Uh, he asks, hypothetical, but say we appeal our transfer ban and we can get five players in the summer. What five players do you pick? Um, so, 
uh, I'll start off with you, Andreas. You wanna you wanna start off with 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 a couple uh, right back and left back position players that we were we were talking about. Yeah, um, and who, Dylan, I appreciate your optimism. Five players is a huge number. Yes, we're gonna have to act quick in the window, but it's not as simple as just throwing money. People are gonna be uh, a little bit more stingy with us, knowing that we need to spend. But uh, I want to start by throwing it left back Ben Chilwell into the mix from uh, Leicester City. I think that he is a fantastic player, complete fullback, um, fits the homegrown quota. He's young. He's athletic. Definitely a better crosser than Marcos Alonso. And um, yeah, it's obviously a step up in his career. He had I don't know if he, I don't think he was a full-on starter when Leicester was in the Champions League. I think he was breaking into the side. So, should we qualify to the Champions League? I think it would be a an easier recruiting effort to get him in. And his and we have I don't think we've seen the the best of him yet. So, I think he would be a, a positive uh, addition to the left back position, which I really think that still needs a little bit of strengthening, even with Emerson uh, picking up more starts. Uh, Zach, you want to name the next person? Uh, yeah. So at right back, um, I had El Said Hisai from uh, Napoli. Um, I know everybody's thinking Reese James, and you're right to think Reese James. I, I was looking at his stats today from like the season as a whole, and it's just like mind blowing numbers for someone that young. Besides the fact that he's just like an absolute unit, he's basically like a Loftus Cheek at right back. Um, but we know how the youth gets treated at Chelsea, um, and with the transfer ban coming, um, there is a better chance for someone like him to get into the side. But we're just assuming that he's not um, going to, based on you know youth trends at Chelsea. So El said he saw right back from Napoli, Albanian international. Um, he's great on both sides of the ball. He can he, he's a decent one v one defender. He's a, a prophet of sorry, so you know he could come in and, and fit seamlessly right into the system. Um, and he also has a decent cross on him as well. So um, wouldn't necessarily be opposed to that if it came at the right price. But then again, De Laurentiis has proved to be one of the biggest pricks in world football. So, you know, we'll see if we could actually get that deal across the line. Um, you know what? I'm just going to go into this next one since uh, since the last one is is more on a, more Andres' decision. But um, for center midfield, so... I was going to put a replacement, or not a replacement, I was going to put a backup for N'Golo Conte, but to be completely honest, I think Ethan Ampadu could do that better than anybody else in the market. Um, so with that being said, I do think we need another center midfielder. I would rather not re-sign Kovacic, um, and I would bring someone in to compete with Loftus-Cheek for that starting spot. Notice how I leave Ross Barkley out of there. So I'm going to bring in Hussein whoa, Alar whoa, from, whoa, whoa. from Lyon. All right, um, so down there. Center midfielder, he could also play out on the left or the right. Um, really, really tidy on the ball. Very technical player. Um, great vision. Could pick out a final pass, but but could also nick a goal. Um, I think he's someone that could help us. Think of him as sort of a hybrid version, a hybrid French version of, uh, of Mason Mount. Very, very similar player. Very, very similar body type. Um, and I would I would go for him for the right price again. He is highly coveted in Europe. You know, we know Barcelona bought a world-class center midfielder, um, and if the and if the trends in world football's transfer windows say anything, 
Um, they say that if if one of Barcelona or Real Madrid buy a marquee signing, you could pretty much bank on the other club doing exactly the same. So I won't be surprised to see clubs like Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, um, and possibly even a, a Manchester City to come after him uh, to come after a guy like Hussein Moir. So hopefully we could pick him up. But yeah, that that would be my choice for the number eight slash number ten role. Um, Andres, you want to take this one? Yeah, yeah, and uh, and I want to add Alar is. Definitely, I think Leon is going to get pushed of a lot of their players right now, much like Monaco did a few years back. He's been one of the, the biggest standouts, and he's a complete midfielder. So should we sign him, he could help back up Conte when, should he need a break, or he could compete with Loftus-Cheek for that left-center mid-spot um, next season. Um, the next position that we thought that we would need someone for is the Regista role, somebody to back up Jorginho. And again, trying to be realistic, what names are out there, what potential players could come in. Uh, I specifically thought, well, um, let's see how the rest of the season goes. But realistically, Kovacic, um, he's mentioned that he likes London. He likes Chelsea. Um, he's, he's enjoying his stint here. I Even with the changes at Madrid, I don't know if his relationship with the club there and going back is really something he's looking like forward to. Um, I also don't know how much of a stock he has out in the market right now, because again, he's, he's not really a solidified starter at Chelsea. And at this point, we're not an elite club in Europe to be just completely honest. We're, we're fighting for top four. We're not up there for, for the league trophy. So I don't know if a 50 that that initial 50 million evaluation we had of him is still going to be there. I also know that prices inflate. So even a player of his quality for 50 million might be more of a bargain in today's market. But aside from that one Italian kid who plays Syria B football that sorry was talking about um, to get him in as a regista, I don't know of anybody else. And that's a position that we definitely will need to to strengthen because in our minds, we're making Champions League next season. So Jorginho plays a Champions League game Wednesday. There's a chance that he might not be playing a full 90 minutes come the weekend in the Premier League. And and knowing Chelsea, we're not going to prioritize one competition over the other. We're trying to win both. And the, the, fifth, the fifth player that we, uh, we are going to talk about uh, I'm going to combine it with this next question uh, because at, at Lilat Gupta, uh, he asks uh, a striker that we should sign during this transfer window considering it might be the last one we get for quite some time. Um, there's, there's, there's a couple, there's a couple uh, options that I think we can go through uh, to get, you know, obviously we have Iguain. Um This is, this is something that, you know, I mean, we, we, we just, just play with him. That's something that I can realistically see happening, but obviously we're gonna need a backup, or you know he, he can't play every day. So some names that we threw out: uh, Luka Jovic, um, Nabil Fekir, and also I mean a guy who we already got, uh, Tammy Abraham, someone we can bring back. Um, I mean, uh, I, I'll start off with you, Zach. Which out of those four names, um, which one do you like the most, and which one seems like the most realistic? Um. I think I, I think uh, 
signing Gonzalo Higuain permanently seems like the most realistic approach. It doesn't seem like Juventus really cares to bring him back, especially, you know, basically they can't afford to have two center forwards that, that don't track back defensively um, in Ronaldo. And if they brought Higuain back, where's he going to fit? I mean, he, the chances are he's probably, uh, it's probably not going to go back to Juventus. So if we could get a cut price deal for Higuain somewhere between 20 or 30 million, I think that'll be like a good rental cost for a guy that could play maybe another two years at the top level. Um, the least realistic out of this is definitely uh, Luka Jovic or Luka Jovic. Um, there's teams with Barcelona's after him. Um, rumors of Real Madrid as well. They're, they're in the market for a striker. Personally, I think he's the best on this list. I think he's the best striker on the market. The guy just has it. If you ever, if you ever catch one of uh, Frankfurt's matches the the partnership he has with Haller is just ridiculous. Um, and, and Jovic doesn't necessarily have like one special attribute. He has a he has a low center of gravity. He's kind of like a Serbian version of Aguero. He's, he's pretty strong. He, he, he could play with the ball at his feet. He's not brilliant at any one of those, but he can do that. But the thing is, when you catch him in the box, I don't think you'll find another striker. I mean, you you'll be hard-pressed to find three or four other strikers that are as clinical as he is at this moment. Um, so, yeah, I think that's most unrealistic. But if it was me, I'd go all in on Nabil Fakir. I think he's a fantastic player. And, look, if you sign him as a striker um, or as that false nine, which is what he would play because he, he wouldn't be an out-and-out -out striker, um, and let's say that doesn't work out, you could always slot him into one of the midfield spots or you could put him on one of the wings and he'll be able to create as well. Also, a good caveat to that is if we do lose Eden Hazard, which I think we are in the summer, um, if we do lose a guy like that, Nabil Fakir is a guy that could come in, not necessarily put up the same numbers as Hazard because Hazard's a generational player, but this is a guy that could provide assists. He can create on the ball, but he's also great off the ball. His movement inside the box is brilliant. He has a left foot that's just absolutely ridiculous. Um, he scored a banger a few weeks ago from about 25 yards out, top corner, left-footed. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I would go all in on Nabil Fakir, signing Higuain as a backup. If Higuain falls through, you bring back Tammy Abraham and, and he could step into like a bit part role because there's no reason for me why Tammy Abraham can't be as productive as Olivier Giroud is now. Like there's, you know, it's just, it's just a matter of is the ban going to happen? And if it does happen, what does our budget look like? Because my main concern, and I'm sure Andres is going to touch on this, is teams are going to know that we're desperate to buy, especially because we're not going to be able to buy for a year. So the prices are going to be inflated times 10. Um, but Andres, I'm curious to see what you think. I mean, who would you go for uh, on this list? Because we talked about it, but we just couldn't decide on one. Yeah. Uh, um, so I, I for sure think that Iguain staying at Chelsea is looking more and more likely now that Sari is kind of fixing the, the biggest issues everybody had with him in terms of his tactics and, and kind of how he plays in the Premier League. So the likelihood of us activating his clauses is looking more and more likely, even if he isn't the outright starter for next season. He's a great alternative. Um, I think Giroud is gone, something that we haven't touched upon. I think he, he'll be gone by the end of this, of this season. Um, I think that – I know you mentioned Jovic and, and how he is being kind of targeted elsewhere. But one thing that I've noticed recently with these young players is that they're – honestly prioritizing the game time like where can they really play and right now if he goes to barcelona 
that front three is pretty, pretty uh, heavy right now in terms of all the talent and players. Like, yes, Luis Suarez's form is dipping, but I still think that it, he would struggle to get minutes. Valverde's barely played Malcolm just now. Uh, Usman Dembele is getting more starts. It, it seems that the, the status quo there will stop him from getting the minutes that he probably desires. I would say same thing happens at Madrid. Benzema's still there. You've got the Spanish guys, Lucas Vasquez, Marco Asensio. You've got Bale, who's still there. Potentially Hazard coming in if, oh, if they Bale, do sign Bale him. not there for long. Like, the, the, Jovic would have a lot of, of uphill battles there while coming to a, a team like Chelsea that is going to be in Champions League, hopefully. Um, is looking to to kind of create an identity because of the transfer ban. Um, we have, that, like you mentioned, he has that Sergio Aguero build, so there is kind of like a, a potential for him to look into Aguero and be like, oh, you know, the Premier League might be for me. And a coach in Sarri who wants offensive football and who's looking to essentially put the ball at his feet inside the box, all these things added up might be enough to lure him this way because – Honestly, Benfica is not going to get him back, and plenty of teams are going to offer a better deal than Frankfurt is. So that's my take on Jovic. It would take a lot of forced recruitment to get him here, but that's why I was so heavily putting him on this list. In terms of Fakir, I'm with you. His flexibility across the front three and even into midfield is would be amazing. Um, again, I mentioned Leon's team is going to be pulled apart, and Fakir was already linked with a move away last summer so i'm sure that he'll be trying to move away again this summer um and then we mentioned i don't know if we meant talked upon it but the, the fact that we do own tammy abraham and he's obviously graduated the champions league again i don't think he's going to jump in and be a starter but again it would be a cheap option for a third striker who could potentially grow into a second striker role there's just not not much out there and it's too early in terms of who we would want as a striker, in my opinion. I think that's the hardest one to really look into and think of realistic targets. I mean, something something not too far-fetched. And I know Sam is going to love this because he loves him. But Batshuayi seemed to hit some sort of form at Selhurst Park. So, like, Come on, where is he at? I know it sounds, Bring him back. I, I know it sounds crazy, but if he continues this run of form and proves that he could put up with English football and that he could cope with it and be a productive player, who's to say that he can't come back and and be of use in some capacity? Now, the question is, if he does come back to Chelsea, well, I guess the main question here is, does he want to go to a big club? Because now he's at an age where he just needs to get playing time. He's not necessarily in the beginning of his career where he could come off the bench and gain experience, but he's also not at the end of his career where he could come off the bench and be a, a productive player in, in, in bits and pieces. Like now this is his prime. This is his physical peak. So if, will he come back to Chelsea is a different question, but if he continues this run of form, there's no reason why we can't consider him. I mean, let's not forget we paid 35 million for this guy. So, and he can play, you know, he gets into the Belgium squad every single time there's call-ups and there's a lot of competition at the striker position in Belgium. So, you know, just another thought, I'd throw it out there, but yeah, I mean, Hopefully we get one of these guys. I mean, if we could bring one of them back in some capacity, I think we'll be okay. But just okay, like like that's the thing. I don't think I don't think any of these signings are people that are going to take us over the line. Like yes, 
Luka Jovic has potential to be like an absolutely just like top class center forward one day, but one player isn't also going to make our team a t- for, go from a you know a, a fifth or sixth place English side, a, a Premier League side to a title contender. So. All right, so then this brings us to our last question. Another question from uh, Ron, a.k.a. at Bone Daddy Cool, a.k.a. Bone Daddy Deluxe, a.k.a. (laughs) Bone Daddy Supreme. Um, He says, being that I know you'll be going in in on the Spurs, what's your take on Klopp coming up with all these silly excuses for his team's performance? Wind, pitch, condition, injured players on the opponent's side, hashtag RepUltra. Uh, I, I don't see the correlation between going in on the Spurs and talking shit about Klopp, but you know, I'm, I'm down. Bone Daddy, that's the you've got, Bone Daddy. You've got enough leeway to to ask any question you like and, and us to give an answer. So they Andre, don't call him Daddy for nothing. Son. <laughs> they don't call him Ron for nothing. So, <laughs> uh, Andreas, we'll start off with you. What do you think about that? Man, it, it it's honestly getting. It's just ridiculous, isn't it? Like, everybody's always going to love Klopp because he hugs his players and he smiles and makes jokes. But, like, this isn't the first time this happens. It's actually, like, I think the second or third time he blames the weather. And it's like, dude, two teams are playing in the shitty wind. And it's not like you went across the country. Like, Everton Stadium is just down the road from You knew what the weather was going to be. Like, come on, man. You lived (laughs) there. This is 2019. Come on. We know. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> it's just like dude what are you gonna blame next like he was the other ridiculous one like uh ron mentioned was the fact that he was blaming the fact that united made subs early because their players got injured and it took away his rhythm like dude you need to take some responsibility like at this point whatever you're trying to get on the field it's not working recently and, and you got to be held accountable for it like it's this is like this is why he's not a winner i feel like like you have to have some sort of edge and, and take shit when it goes wrong. Like, I don't know, man. I, I, the more this kind of thing happens, the more I'm like, I don't know if Klopp will ever win a trophy. Like, he'll always be there real close. But, yeah, those kind of comments don't – you have to kind of lay it on your players after that. Like, 0-0 against Everton where Everton could have beat you at the end there. Like, I don't know. I, I, I'm very discouraged if I'm one of his, like – I'm a Liverpool fan or, you know, somebody that thinks Liverpool should be winning trophies. How about the Everton ball boy chatting shit with him uh, after the match when he's walking off? <laughs> that I'm proud of that. I'm proud of that kid. That was that Cla- was classic scouse. That was thank amazing. God, thank God the most recent ball boy memory we have is now Klopp instead of Eden Hazard kicking that <laughs> kid in Swansea. Um, <laughs> we forgot Wait, about that. I don't remember. No, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, no, no. I mean, just going in on Klopp right here. So, like. Listen, if if I'm the players, I gotta. At, at what point do you go up to your manager and say like, "Look, like something needs to change. We gotta start scoring goals again," because that's what's happened with Liverpool here. Is like, yeah, I mean, they got the five goals against Watford, but they're not consistently scoring week week in and week out. And how many points did they drop in their last nine nine matches? Like. 11 points or something like that, or maybe I'm getting it mixed up. Maybe nine points in the last 11 matches. Anyways, this is their fourth draw in five matches. 
So that tells me they can't score. They only have 15 goals conceded on them all season. Their defense is doing their job. It's the attack. Now, Klopp is the epitome of what happens when you're too nice of a football manager because you go into press conferences and you and you physically cannot talk shit about any of your players or not necessarily talking shit but jeering them up. Guys like, you know, let's say Jose Mourinho. Yes, he threw his players under the bus, but the players that reacted reacted well and they hit their potential. You know, like, yes, of course, he, you know, some players mentally break and they're fragile and they crack. And I understand that. But at some point, you have to hold your players accountable. The finishing was poor in the in the, Mer- in the Merseyside Derby. Like, I watched it and I was thinking to myself, oh, man, if, if Everton had a little bit more in the attack, they could have walked away 1-0 any other day of the week. But it, it just seemed like, you know, at both teams, Liverpool were creating chances and couldn't put the ball in the back of the net. And Everton just weren't creating enough chances until the very end of the game. But, I mean, if you're Klopp, you have to put your players, not necessarily throw them under the bus, but you have to hold them accountable. You're not getting goals from the midfield. If Mo Salah's not scoring, if Mo Salah and Mane aren't scoring, who's picking up the slack? Because so far this season, Firmino hasn't. Shakiri has been used all over the pitch. And, you know, whenever he steps into a rhythm, Klopp switches his position again. I tip Navi Keita to be one of the most underrated, low-key signings of the summer, and it has proved to be the complete opposite. Uh, he's Jorginho has scored more goals than Navi Keita didn't so they, far. Didn't they uh, sign him last season during the season, or was it was it a yeah, summer deal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they signed him in January, but that, they yeah, waited it was, until— it was, it was hyped during the time. I mean, I thought he, it was a huge signing. Yeah, me too. I thought this was going to be like the player that completely changes their midfield. Right. And instead, that became Fabinho. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, just Klopp has to hold his players accountable. And hopefully he does it, and hopefully he continues going on this path, because I would rather see Man City lift the trophy again. Mainly because, one, they're a better team overall, and two, like, you can't really get mad at Pep Guardiola winning trophies, because, I mean, that's just what the guy does for a living. But now if Liverpool wins a trophy, they're already the talk of the town now. Imagine when they start winning, how terrible it's going to get. Especially here stateside where we just have bandwagon fans left and right. It's just, yeah, I, I, I hope Liverpool keep bottling it. That would be a dream come true for me. Yeah, but okay, I think, I that think th- that's it. Nice, okay, cool. So that wraps up uh, part two of this week's uh, podcast series, I guess you could you, you could call it. Um, don't forget to check out part one if you haven't checked it out yet. In part one, we we give our reviews of the Tottenham match and uh, the Fulham match. We talk about a lot of things that we like, a lot of things that we can still work on. But overall, generally, it is a very positive move that's surrounding the uh, mood that's surrounding the club right now in terms of the on-field product. Um, so until next week. Oh, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Romans Empire Pod. You can also email us, RomansEmpirePod at Gmail. Um, and until next week, keep the blue flag flying high. We'll see you then.